Welcome back to our next edition of the CBB Review Studio Podcast. I am Dan Siegel, joined as always by my co-host Ben Anderson. Just a quick reminder before we get started to subscribe to our show here at CBB Review Studio, especially here on YouTube because we are trying to get to that 100 mark before the season starts. We have a lot more listeners than we have people subscribed. So if you are listening to this podcast, you like this content, please hit that subscribe button. We would really appreciate it. It helps us out a ton cost nothing on your end so once again please subscribe thank you so much today we are going to continue the cb rank countdown we are going to do teams number 50 to 46 so let's get right into it team number 50 on our cbb rank countdown leading up to the regular season at finally number one but number 50 we got the penn state nittany lions who had a good season as good a season pretty much last year as you're going to see at Penn State. But, of course, head coach Micah Shrewsbury is off to Georgetown. And Mike Rhodes, they bring him in from VCU. That is certainly a downgrade. I don't think there's any arguing that. I don't think it was a great hire on either. Maybe you thought it was a great hire. I'm not sure what you thought. I did not think it was a great hire. He did not really elevate that VCU program that much, in my opinion, if anything, they declined a little bit under his watch. Rhodes is still a decent coach, though. And what are you really looking for from the Penn State and Indy Lions in year one of Rhodes? I, you know, I think it's just such a hard job to judge in year one. I'll put that out there first. I wouldn't necessarily use Penn, his Penn State experience as the sign that Mike Rhodes is a bad coach, but you can use it to show that Mike Shrewsbury is a good coach just because it's so hard to win in state college, right? But in terms of year one, I do, I do think they have a decent roster, especially considering how much they lost when you look at people like Jalen Pickett, Seth Bundy, Andrew Funk, right? All three have NBA uh, contracts at this point, whether that's in the, in the main league or the G League or, or whatever like that. But like, there's just a ton that this, play, that this team lost. And they do bring in some solid pieces, most notably Ace Baldwin, clearly uh, VCU's best player last year, in my opinion, right? There's a couple of arguments for other players, but I mean, Baldwin ran that show and he's gonna run the show at in, in State College as well. Um, another interesting player is Rayquandis Mitchell. I think that he, it'll be hard to see how his production transfers from Kansas City all the way up to the Big 10, but he can score the ball, right? Everyone knows this about, about Mitchell at this point. And then one player that I don't have on this slide, but I find to be a little bit intriguing is actually DeMarco Dunn transfer from North Carolina. Uh, Penn State actually has two of them here on the roster along with Puff Johnson. But, but DeMarco Dunn really didn't play all that much in Chapel Hill, but he has a chance maybe to break out in year one, like we said, under Rhodes and show his potential as a pretty highly rated recruit coming out of high school. Totally agree with that last point or pretty much all the points you made, but that last point I definitely did mark down. You mentioned first off that eight of the nine top contributors are transfers and Obviously, especially under year one of a coaching tenure, you're going to say that cohesion will be a major issue. Now, I do agree with that, but also I feel like that is a common theme among a lot of these teams that we're talking about. So it's not like they're at a major disadvantage compared to all their opponents. A lot of their opponents will be facing the same things, but as we get up the list, I feel like having camaraderie and teams with a lot of returning players will get boosted up a little bit in, in my rankings. But 
Yeah, Ace Baldwin, he's a real hooper. I, I can't emphasize this enough. The A-10 player of the year last year, I did not think he deserved it, but he was definitely the second-best player in the A-10 last year. Absolutely just a stud on both ends, the 12.7 points per game, 5.8 assists per game, 2.2 steals per game. So he got it done. And just one negative note I want to say on Penn State, a theme I notice with this team is low efficiency pretty much throughout their roster at their previous spots. It starts with Raekwondus Mitchell, for example, who had 17.3 points per game at Kansas City, which is very good, but field goal percentage was 34.5. I think another guy that fits that mold, we haven't mentioned him yet, but Zach Hicks from Temple, high volume, low efficiency guy. Hopefully everybody could really fit into their assigned roles here at Penn State, maybe, but I'm not sure I have quite that amount of faith in Rhodes as a head coach. So we're going to project them 10th in the Big Ten. That's pretty much where I see them. Yeah, I think that's a fair ranking. All right, Dan, who do we have next? 49, we have the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Each of their past couple of years, Wake had a player transfer in that had moderate success at their previous school. And then they go to Wake Forest and absolutely become the heart and soul of their team. They did everything for their offense. 2021 to 22, that was Alondis Williams winning ACC Player of the Year, coming originally from Oklahoma last year to most of the same extent. It was Tyree Appleby coming from Florida into Wake Forest. And they were able to have moderate success in those seasons. But that style of basketball was problematic at times. And the way I look at this Wake Forest team now is they are a lot more well-rounded. Will, do they have that guy that transfers in? We'll, we'll talk about that in a, and becomes a stud. We'll talk about that in a sec. But this is the deepest Wake Forest team that Steve Forbes has had. I don't, I don't think there's a question about that. No, absolutely. I agree. And as you can see, they did lose Bobby Clinton um, to the NBL, the Australian League for Rising Stars, which was a bit of an unexpected hit. Uh, but overall, I really agree, especially in the backcourt. This team is very, very solid. Um, as you can see, all three players up here are guards here. Uh, Cam Hildreth, Hunter Salas, who could be that transfer that comes in and rocks the Demon Deacons world, yeah. um, arguably as a very high ceiling coming in from Gonzaga as a five, former five-star recruit. And then Damari Monsanto is just the reliable three-point sniper on the wing. He That was huge to bring him back for a second season. And then off the bench, I didn't even have time, have space to mention him, but you have Kevin uh, Boopy Miller, right, coming in from Central Michigan. He was sort of um, a microwave scorer here as well, averaging over 18 points a game for the Chippewas. Uh, and he can perform uh, perform solidly here. I do I do have a little bit of concerns about the backcourt, um, or the front court. excuse me. I do think they have a pretty low ceiling. Andrew Carr and Matthew Marsh are good players, but like they're not going to wow you with any of their skills, in my opinion. Now, Andrew Carr in particular could have a breakout season after coming in from Delaware um, in his second year in the ACC, but I just don't really love the backcourt at, at this point, although Efton Reed is also interesting as well. But the guard, is, the guard play is where Wake Forest will win, in my opinion. Yeah, see, yes, they have a low ceiling, but I think the floor is pretty high for those yeah. two front court players. I think Carr, the stretch for like that quality role player, 
and then Marsh, who's just he's just your classic finisher around the rim. Yeah. Sixty-five of his eighty-three field goals were dunks, and all of but one were around that rim, considered close twos, according to the BartTorvik.com shooting splits metric. But I, I, I like this team seven to eight deep. I mean, Hildreth, your double-digit returner as a, as a point guard. Salas, you mentioned him, the Gonzaga transfer. Maybe he is the next guy. Maybe you're right. I'm not sure he fits that same mold as the Alondis Williams or the Tyree Appleby because those were guys that were at their previous schools, kind of under-recruited a little bit maybe, and they just made an incredible play, seeing the court really well and finally breaking out with that talent. Salas is a little bit different because basketball IQ is – pretty much a weakness with him, not a strength. Although he is James Harden's cousin, so that that certainly helps to have that in the DNA. But yeah, Monsanto, you mentioned him, great three point shooter. And yeah, you got Miller and Reed off the bench. That that's a great top seven in my opinion. Wake Forest, this could be the year they go to the tournament. I'm not saying it's a guarantee, obviously. I'm not saying it's necessarily like highly likely, but I think this is their best shot, at least as we view it from the, in the preseason. Yeah, I agree with that. It should be the year, especially in an ACC that's still not at its peak form, um, mm-hmm. especially in the mid-ranks. This should be the year that Steve Forbes finally makes it. Dan, here uh, we go. Yeah, let's keep rolling. We got Iowa at 48, who is kind of a similar story to Wake Forest in that they have been carried by one dominant player each year in the recent past. Yep. It started with Luca Garza, then to Keegan Murray, then to Chris Murray. But now I'm not as high in Iowa as I am on Wake Forest. They're coming off of a pretty disappointing 19 and 14 season. They have a few returning pieces, but I'm not wowed by this roster in any way. No, I think it's a lot of role players. Um, and that's not necessarily an, meant to be an insult to any of the any of these athletes at Iowa, right? I still think Tony Perkins is really good. I think Ben Crickey is is good as, especially as an up transfer, he sort of plays that Philip Rebrosser role that, that they had the last couple of years, right? But the problem is they don't have that player, I don't think. Now, you could make an argument for Peyton Sanford to become a Chris or a Keegan Murray type deal. I don't think it'll happen, but if you're looking down the list here and trying to find someone that might make that jump, it's probably Sanford. Um, and after that, I mean, there's not a ton of production off the bench either. That's something I noticed. I don't know if you noticed this, Dan, but you have Josh Dix, average two points a game. Evan Brown's uh, average seven points, but at Belmont, right? So it's not like he's coming in as a, as a 15, 16 per game, point per game score. I just worry that this, this team isn't all that deep. And if you're not deep and you don't have a star to carry you, that's not a great mix, especially in the you know graveyard of the Big Ten when it comes to that that grinding schedule. Yeah, something I will be looking for is whether one of those plethora of freshmen can break out right away. One of the guys I actually was looking at was Peyton Stanford, uh, Sanford's brother, Price, yeah. who is the highest rated of those four that they brought in. I believe he's a fringe top 100 guy, so not a ton expected of him in year one, but we've seen guys around that rank do – things that are unexpected so we'll see um yeah i I kind of agree with you though cricky i think is a key transfer addition though he averaged nearly 20 points per game in that missouri valley conference and 
he's so big for that Brand McCaffrey system where he loves to have bigs that could shoot the ball because of just what it opens up for the rest of the offense. So that's really important transfer acquisition. But with Tony Perkins as the main option, I love him as a defensive on the defensive end. I do not love him as a main option on the yeah. offensive end. And then to add on top of that, defense is always a huge concern with Fran McCaffrey's team. He hasn't finished inside the top 75, according to Torvik on the defensive end since that 2015 to 16 season. And last year was especially a, ta- a tale of two sides of the ball where they finished fourth on offense and 171st on defense. That just That's just not going to get it done. And yeah. Tony Perkins, like you mentioned, is a good defender. Um, I think that it will be interesting to see how the Hawkeyes deal with the size of the Big Ten, right? Patrick McCaffrey is 6'9", but he's a skinny 6'9". Uh, and if you're looking at Cricky, who's also only 6'9 and doesn't necessarily have the experience guarding these seven-foot monsters that you might see in the Big Ten. Like, imagine imagine Cricky going against, like, Cliff Omari, who we're going to talk about in this yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's a little bit worrying to me. Uh, I just think that this is one of those teams that might just finish with a losing record because they haven't played in the Big Ten. Well, thank you so much for spoiling our number 47 team. Yeah. They were going to hear about it. No, no, no. I'm, it's, I'm just joking. But we got the 47th-ranked. <laughs> Rutgers Scarlet Knights and when we talk about Rutgers basketball I think it's all about Steve Peichel and just how good of a coach he is how well he runs a basketball program because that's just all you hear about when you ask people around this industry about him and Rutgers is pretty much like just very far from a laughing stock under his watch we cannot take that for granted and there's definite concern with the four players that they lost in the transfer portal. They did bring in four as well. I am a big fan of the four guys that they brought in. I don't think it quite compensates for the guys that came out, but I still think that the roster makeup looks decent for me. I think their rank at 47 is pretty appropriate and they'll be right around the bubble again, as I project them right now. I don't know. I don't know about this team. I think they're ranked too high. Um, And I just worry it's almost more, it's a more aggressive problem version problem of what Iowa has right now, where they don't have that guy. I think a lot of people are really relying on one of two things to happen. Either Austin Williams is able to recreate his production that he had at FIU, which is never a guarantee, as we know, with, with up transfers, or Derek Simpson is the guy that's going to break out, right? People are very high around about him on, on around in and around the Rutgers program. Um, but it's hard to guarantee that, especially with, you know, not having a great supporting cast around you. Like, I love Andre Hyatt and I love, like, Cliff Omari um, and even, you know, a player like Noah Fernandez, but they're not going to be that number one option on a tournament team in the Big Ten, in my opinion. So yeah. I'm wondering who that who that's going to be and how that's going to translate into what is predicted to be a, a semi-tough league. Not not the best Big Ten we've ever seen, in, ever seen but um, one that still is very formidable. So... That's not necessarily my concern with actually with Noah Fernandez, who will be the point guard for Rutgers this year, comes from UMass. So I've watched a lot of Fernandes. And the problem with him is more injuries. I think when he is in the right system and he is getting the ball a lot, the the his usage rate is high, in, in other words, yeah. as a point guard. I think he, he has shown the ability to take over games, be really good. And – 
The problem is he has not played a full season in all four years of his college career. So right. injury is, I don't want to say inevitable, but very much on the table. And you do have a guy like Austin Williams coming off the bench who he did come from FIU, but he was injured all of last year. So he, his production, those stats are actually from Hartford two years ago, but still like good numbers, but nothing that is necessarily going to translate into stardom in the big 10. That's my concern. And yeah, I, I agree with the number one option thing. Cliff Amore is like a good staple as a quality 6'11 big in the paint on both ends. He's not like your number one option, That, but that's probably the best thing you have on that team going for you right now. Plus a guy like him with the agility he has, he averaged over 30 minutes a game last year, which is pretty good for him. And yeah, I mean, Rutgers teams of the past have been clean, well coached, very good on the defensive end, having trouble scoring a lot. I think we're going to see similar things this year, but I like Peichel as a coach. I think he could salvage a bubble team. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, there is many, there are many, many worlds where this team is a 10 seed, right, in the tournament. Mm-hmm. That, that would not surprise me in the least. It's just... I don't know if they have the ability or the, the the manpower to go beyond that and really make it make a dent in the Big Ten. All right, we're going to talk about our final team of the day, and we definitely both have a lot of thoughts on this team. The Virginia Cavaliers coming in at 46 in our CB rank poll. So as a Virginia guy, I obviously have a lot of thoughts on this team. I think they should be around the top 25, not necessarily this low. I think more so than the rest of the Virginia fan base. I see the reasoning for putting them at 46, but Ben, why don't you talk to me first about where you think Virginia should be ranked and if you were making this by yourself, and then we'll get into the pros and cons of the team. Yeah, so to start, I think this is a little low for Virginia. Um, I think they would probably, I would put them around 30 to 35. I don't know Mm -hmm. if they would start out ranked, um, but they're definitely not in the group that we've of the four teams that we just talked about. I think they're pretty clearly better. What makes this interesting is that you know a typical Tony Bennett team you could categorize as having a high floor, but a, but maybe not the highest ceiling. I think this is a little bit different. I think this is almost reversed, and I don't know if that's just an opinion I hold, but the ceiling on this team is very very high in my opinion. Right, as, if all these pieces click. And especially if we get some production from maybe one of the freshmen like Blake Buchanan, I think that they have a lot of potential, um, especially in in this ACC. Now, if the transfers that Tony Bennett's relying on pretty heavily don't work, especially like someone like Andrew Rohde, who had a fantastic year at St. Thomas, but again, has only had one year at St. Thomas, right? All of a sudden, that's a pretty key piece that you're relying on that just isn't there. And I'm interested to see what that looks like. But overall... I do like this team. I think this is honestly the best team that Tony Bennett's had at least since 2021 and maybe 2019. So there's kind of two things I want to bring up with Virginia, two main points. I think first off it starts with Reese Beekman and, and his game. And he is an elite, elite on ball defender. And that was what almost made him single-handedly get him, got him to the NBA draft last year and he would have been probably a second-round pick regardless, but he decides to go back and increase his stock. Now, on the offensive end, he has a lot of potential, 
and we saw that in the beginning of the year last year. The problem is he was kind of playing on a busted leg half more than half of the year last year. I think in that tournament, in that uh, that Thanksgiving tournament in the Continental Tire, like back in late November, yeah. that's when he really hurt his leg and his hamstring was he ne- he didn't have that same burst the entire year. So if Reese Beekman could be that offensive guy to compensate with one of the best, if not the best on-ball defender in the country. You have a superstar right there. And then the other storyline is the defensive end, just overall, the UVA unit. And they, like I said, they have like the individual pieces. They have Beekman. They have Ryan Dunn. That's a really good one-two punch right there as a rim protector and an on-ball defender. Miner is also a really good rim protector. Um, you have the pieces there, but you're also relying on a lot of transfers coming in, Miner being one of them. And Tony Bennett has a very complex defensive system. So can those guys be cohesive and communicate well with each other and make that pack line defense as good as we've seen it in the past? That's the question. That's why I could identify that their ceiling is high, but why it is unlikely that they fully reached that ceiling at least early on in the year. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that this is a an example of a team that might be struggling at the beginning of the year, maybe not have the best non-conference appearances, but maybe is also not a team you'd want to play in the middle of February. I think mm-hmm. that if everything clicks and it might take a while, but if everything clicks, and then all of a sudden they become a juggernaut in late February, early March. I would not be surprised in the least because they do just have all the pieces, like you mentioned. You'd even mention Leon Bond, who I no. think has the potential to be a fantastic defender um, in, in the ACC, right? Coming off a redshirt year, Dante Harris has is there to back up um, to back up Beekman at the point guard position. Buchanan, I've already mentioned, Jake Rose as a shooter off the bench if they need it, right? There's a lot of potential here, a lot of depth, in my opinion. Um, the only question is whether they're able to put it all together. And if you're looking at the list of coaches that you'd have faith in to put things together, I think Tony Bennett's pretty high on that list. No, no, that that that's for sure. I think if they really get to that point in February, that's a good thing given the frustrations of Virginia fans in the recent past, and that has been first-round upsets in March. And it's because they've peaked in the middle of the year or, you know, fluky things have happened and whatnot. But if they could – have a good regular season that wouldn't really be a change from the recent past if they could make it out of the first weekend and not have it be that that extreme whereas like the last five uva tournament appearances have been one extreme or the other they have the national championship but if they like they need to make it out of the first weekend absolutely no i agree with i agree with everything you said i i will be interested to see if this is a consensus ranking across most sites or if they have it a little higher, I think they're going to be a little bit higher to start the season. I've seen plenty of sites with UVA in the forties. I mean, us included, but I was included. Very- yeah. I think, I, I think you'll either see them at like 25 or you'll see them at 40. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't seen a lot in the thirties. That's true, but that will do it for today's edition of the CBB review studio podcast. Once again, I'm going to reiterate it. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel. If you enjoy our content and want to hear some more, we are on YouTube and all of the audio platforms you can imagine, including um, Apple podcasts and Spotify. So please be sure to subscribe once again. Thanks to everyone for watching and listening. 
and take care.